Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Enhanced genetics. Spider-Man. Superhuman kinetics. Spider-Man. Muscle augmentation. And look at that. Web biogeneration. This looks like my work. It's getting out. Your life's work. Your precious research. Getting sold. It is impossible. Isn't it? It's not. Or is it? Maybe it was Cassidy. You relied on loyalty. All your staff. Welcome to MCU Complete Me, the show where we discuss every uh, Spider-Man musical Broadway production. <laughs> I'm your host, Crystal, and with me as always is Luke. You had me at hello, but then due to actor injuries and various problems with the production, we had to close down and reopen, and you had me on welcome. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is, uh, this is is not a film. This is... Well, okay, let me submit to you that we are talking about a film today, actually. No, we aren't. We are talking about a YouTube video. That's a film. Oh, it's it's a digital video. Yeah, it's a digital... I, I, yeah, listen, it's a... So are most of the Marvel movies. Are any of the MCU fi- movies shot on film? I, I doubt it. Like, maybe Iron Man 1? This is not worth... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not worth looking... I'm just saying, uh... Because we're not actually reviewing Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, per se. We're reviewing Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark 2.0 Broadway recording on YouTube. Well, I- we might note some of the uh, authorial choices made by Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark 2.0 rather recording full HD. Most of which I assume were made because he was hiding his phone from the usher. <laughs> and also, the person who recorded this might not be the person who uploaded this video. Yeah, I don't think that's right. I think this is an unknown director of this film we're covering today. Certainly, the, the unknown director had to make certain choices about where he's focusing the camera, where he's zooming in on, etc, etc, etc. Right. But we we are trying to sort of uh, filter through this filter review the Broadway play Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Sure, I just think we need to acknowledge up front that to an extent our goal here is fruit like impossible. It would be like trying to cover, you know, uh, the life of a man just because we watched a documentary about him, you know? I see what you mean, sure. <laughs> Here's what I'll say. 
I think if I went and saw this in a theater, I probably would have fun. And I think a lot of the reasons I would have fun perhaps did not come through on this recording. Yeah, there were parts of this I liked. It, it was a bit of a mixed bag, but there were fun parts. Yeah, yeah. Do you know much about the history of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark? I What I know about this film, it was uh, it was directed by Julie Taymor. Right, of Lion King fame. Uh, Bono from U2 wrote the music. And The Edge. Uh, and the Edge, also from U two. Um, there's a, there's a lot of injuries. It was on like a preview circuit for a really long time. Yeah, yeah. It made no money. Yeah, it made it totally. It's the most expensive Broadway production ever done, and it completely flopped. Yeah, and I'm listening here. Yeah, six people were injured while working on Spider Man. That's six more than you're supposed to have. Uh huh. After two stunt doubles were injured during various flying sequences and rehearsals, safety inspectors from the New York State Department of Labor reviewed these scenes in the show. <laughs> Great. Two workplace safety violations on this one in 2011. Yeah, uh, in, in the version I saw, it seemed like it would be very easy to get injured if you were doing some of these stunts every night. I, on one hand, yes. On the other hand, part of me can't help but think about, like, we've been doing stage productions of Peter Pan for, like, over a hundred years. And granted, this stuff is more complicated. Like, my high school did a Peter Pan production where the Peter Pan actor flew on, like, wires. And again, not nearly as, like, complex as some of the stuff they do in this show. But also, we had a high school drama department budget and not $75 million. It just seems like it should be a solvable problem. Yeah, and I think the way you solve that problem is you make the stunt less complex. Yeah, that's probably a big part of it, uh-huh. Just understanding how the human body works and what kinds of tensions and pressures you can put on it without hurting it. Maybe maybe it's uh, it's not worth it. Yeah, um, I'm trying to find... I saw some good quotes in when I was reading this Wikipedia article the other day um, from, from Bono. Uh, let me find it. Okay, yeah, here we go. I just want to read you this, like, paragraph or so on Wikipedia, if I can. Okay. Although often described as a rock musical, the production, quote, treads new ground that some commentators have asserted have effectively distanced it from its peers and caused some confusion when it comes time to describe the show. The Edge stated that he's unsure of what description to use for the production because it is elements of rock and roll, it's elements of circus, it's elements of opera, and of musical theater. Bono, admitting that his description was a little, quote, pretend has referred to it as pop up part pop art, god pop up pop art opera noting that julie Taymor is calling it a rock and roll circus drama he also described the production as wrestling with the same stuff as uh rilke blake wings of desire roy lichtenstein and the ramones <laughs> the ramones a 60-minute CVS special stated that it's been called a comic book rock opera circus. Although in that segment, Bono noted that even using rock to describe the music is too narrow a description, because we've moved out of the rock and roll idiom in places into some very new territory for us, including big show tunes and dance songs. Uh, what the do, you, do you feel like those are accurate descriptions? Is this is this a pop-up pop art opera circus? I, yes, but I don't know why they're saying it like that. <laughs> Like, everything they're saying is technically correct. That <laughs> There are some songs that are a little more you know, rock and roll-y. There are parts where it's a lot of focus on the acrobatics, like a circus. Yeah, I guess that is true. There are parts that are more like traditional show tunes. There are parts yeah. that are a little more operatic. Yeah. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say any of it is really treading new ground. 
No, not really. I mean, on a technical level, sure. But not like, this is Bono. He was not making the the high wire uh, stunts. Oh, is this strictly talking about the music? Yes. What the fuck is circus like about the music? Well, I guess I guess that part is yeah is the show. I'm just thinking more about he's like oh well it's not even appropriate to call it a rock opera because really we're pushing into so many new different territories that are un we've never been to before. And I guess that's true in the sense that every song in this musical either sounds like the most generic ass U2 song I ever heard or the most generic ass show tune I ever heard. I don't think the music's very good in this show. Yeah, is Bonda just saying that he he's writing some show tunes for the first time? Yeah. <laughs> And you know what? I think it kind of shows, especially Bully by Numbers. Yeah, you didn't like Bully by Numbers? No, no, I didn't like it very much. Yeah, I would say the parts I liked about this one, I generally did like the actors. Mm. I like the costumes and the sets. Yeah, I would say the the stage designers did a pretty good job, other than the ones responsible for injuring six people. The musical parts, not the strongest part. Yeah. Um, the other side of it is that, in addition to injuring a lot of people and needing rework for that reason, they thought that, like, they were getting really lukewarm receptions even when the show went off without a hitch. So they needed to restructure the entire show. The version we watched is not the version that they like originally did. Um, that's why it's the 2.0 version. Do you do you know the differences? Uh, I know that the 1.0 version has a geek chorus. That's a big one. Yep. Uh huh. <laughs> it's kind of like a Greek chorus, but with uh, four geeks. Yeah, consisting of Miss Arrow, Jimmy Six, Professor Cobwell, and Grim Hunter, who are apparently Marvel Comics characters. And I know that Arachne, instead of being like Peter's divine inspiration for becoming Spider Man, is like a romantic villain or something? Yeah, okay. <clears throat> so the original version of this show is the first act of it is mostly, basically they stretch the first act of it out to be the whole show. Uh, the Green Goblin dies at the end of act one in the original idea. Um, the geek chorus at the beginning, like it opens way better, I think, because it sounds like it opens with like an action sequence where Spider-Man is catching Mary Jane falling, you know, through the air. And then it like freeze frames to look like a comic book panel and the geek chorus comes out to talk about spider-man like oh guy turned into a spider that's crazy well actually that happened one time before let me tell you the legend of arachne from greek myth and then like the same shit happens where like arachne blesses him with the spider suit which okay um and he beats the green goblin at the end of act one and then at the end the beginning of act two the geek chorus is like well he beat the green goblin so i guess spider-man just i don't know he beat his final enemy and lives happily ever after wait wait no he's got to have more villains so the Sinister Six show up with no connection to the Green Goblin at all. They're just like a montage of guys for Spider-Man to fight as the Geek Chorus tries to invent a, like the ultimate villain for Spider-Man and none of them are strong enough. Uh, and eventually the, that ultimate villain turns out to be Arachne, who is jealous of Mary Jane and wants to ha like fuck Peter Parker. And uh, like she becomes the antagonist for the rest of the show. Okay, they made the Shin Nagami Tensei game. <laughs> Sure, uh-huh. Uh, when Peter and MJ are having relationship troubles because he's Spider-Man, the geek chorus is like, oh wait, maybe MJ is the one enemy Peter can never defeat. What the fuck? <laughs> it, 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 to the degree that this is loosely inspired by adapting the Raimi Spider-Man. Clearly that's an influence, yeah. 
Um, MJ is is even more sympathetic, even more reasonable. I actually think MJ comes off a little better in this show than in the Raimi movies because you get like it, two whole scenes where like she is the focus and we're not seeing her through Peter's perspective. Yeah, yeah. Like the scene that is him, like they have like sort of a duet, but they're like separate as they're both like in their rooms singing about their horrible lives. But the fact that like she is there in the spotlight singing about herself and not just being seen through Peter's window changes the way that comes off and makes her feel a little more like a character. I totally agree. Yeah, like it's not, I still think it could be better, but it's better than the Raimi's. So why would they say that she's a villain he can never defeat? Because it's the one conflict he can never escape is is, is MJ. But she she just begs him, just please tell me what's going on. Right. Uh-huh. That's all you need to do. That's all you have to do. Uh, yeah, it looks like the way the, the original idea ended was that Arachne was going to kill MJ unless Peter submitted himself to her. And he does. And that makes her realize, oh, he loves her so much. I can't break them up. I have to, like, spare them all. And then that is the redemptive moment for Arachne. And she gets to, like, ascend to heaven uh on the same like by climbing the same piece of thread that she hung herself with a myth huh uh-huh i i would say arachne's role maybe makes a little more sense in the 2.0 version you think so i feel like she feels like a weird um hanger on from when she was actually what the musical was about well when they tell her story about how she she thought she could weave a thread that was uh that could match the gods that's right. kind of what norman's doing when he wants everyone to become uh gods yeah, that is true. There's there's some thematic parallels. Um <laughs> we're kind of jumping all over the place because we I wanted to cover the info on the old version and also we basically covered this plot already when we did the Raimi Spider-Man. Um but I'm just trying to think starting at the top is there anything Yeah, we have the whole myth of Arachne is like the opening thing. It's instead of being given by the geek chorus, it's Peter giving like a school presentation. Uh and then he's like, "Hey, hey, do you know that uh also Norman Osborn's trying to turn people into animals?" And his teacher's like, "I don't fucking care. This is a classics class, not a science class. Shut up, nerd." And then uh, Flash Thompson says he wants to pound Peter. Uh-huh, yeah, and Peter just gets bullied by numbers. Um, I did, before I watched this, I listened through the cast album of uh, just the songs. Does not have all the songs, for one thing. It's missing a good chunk of them. Uh, and also, they're just not good songs. <laughs> Again, they just feel like shitty songs that you 2 had laying around, and they just rewrote the lyrics to kind of be about Spider-Man. Right. Uh, but yeah, so he goes home. MJ is, you know, still has an abusive home. Uh, it's no good. We get, I feel like Uncle Ben is less sympathetic in this version. Yeah, Uncle Ben, when Peter is, is like, breaking down and crying about how his life is so awful, he can't stand being bullied anymore, he doesn't know what to do, uh, Uncle Ben just kind of tells him to suck it up. Yeah, he's like, ah, it'll be fine. You're a kid, you'll, you'll grow out of it, it'll get better, don't worry. You gotta rise above it. Uh, they say great power, great responsibility in this musical, but Uncle Ben does not say it, which is odd to me. Yeah, who, who originally says it? Peter, he just says it out of the blue. He's just like, 
Oh, Green Goblin, I've learned great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, Aunt May actually kind of gets a lot of focus in this one, but Uncle Ben, he doesn't seem to have that kind of important relationship to Peter. Yeah. Peter doesn't, like, there's no carjacker that Peter lets go. He just randomly gets killed. Yeah, that's a weird thing to me, too. Like, and Peter's like, oh, God, if I was here, I could have been using my spider powers to protect Uncle Ben. But they really, like, make it way less his fault. And it's already not directly his fault as is. And if the idea is that you have to be there to protect the people you love, why wouldn't he be next to Mary Jane all the time? That's also true. He doesn't learn the lesson that that scene seems to set up. (laughs) Um, But yeah, before that, before Uncle Ben dies, he's got a field trip to Norman Osborn's lab. They kind of merged Osborn from Spider-Man 1 with Octavius from Spider-Man 2. Yeah, his glasses and lab coat are even similar. I really like Norman in this one. He's probably the best actor in this one, yeah. He's got a charm. Charming Southern drawl. He's got a real cool lab coat that's silver with like circuitry printed on it. He's the one that's like getting laughs out of the audience too. Yeah, he's really playing the audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, because his thing is not that he's trying to do a government contract. It's that global warming is going to fundamentally transform the Earth, and if humanity is going to survive, he needs to splice us with the kinds of animals that can thrive in the new ecosystem. So he needs to give us amphibian skin and infrared red eyes and uh he there's no harry instead he has a wife emily yes yeah he's got dr octopus's wife and norman says he's gonna turn darkness into light yeah he's gonna let there be lights and he's like well wait that's god's god said that are you saying you're trying to be god he's like who's that what um and yeah peter's class shows up to check out his experiments peter is infatuated with osborne osborne is like aware of peter because of a school report he did in high school why not um and yeah osborne has a whole musical number about we gotta live in a diy world because evolution's too slow uh and then peter gets bit by osborne's radioactive spider right one of the spiders escapes and then a, a very big stage spider <laughs> drops yeah, they, you know it's gotta be big enough for the back the back balcony to see and one of the other things with osborne in this one is that because there's no harry he he kind of regrets not having kids with emily and he sort of treats peter as if he might be his son yeah, it's interesting. It's almost like there there's a father-son relationship between Spider-Man and his antagonist in this story. Which they kind of tried to do in Spider-Man 1, but didn't really do. Yeah, I mean, they do in the last line where it's like, I have a father. But you're right. Yeah, not, not so much. Um... And then, uh, yeah, he gets bit, and then he goes home, he's sick, he's sweaty, he's bouncing off the walls, Crystal. This, how do you feel about bouncing off the walls, the musical number? That's one of the only songs that stuck in my mind. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's, I I like the stagecraft of it, because that's one thing we should say, all the sets are designed with, like, every prop and piece of the set has a really skewed angle to it. Like, it's just this very weird, uh, comic illustration. I like that element of it. Like I said, I think the, the stagecraft in this is really good and yeah when he's bouncing off the walls with his spider powers like the walls kind of all fly away that's neat yeah i thought the acrobatics on display here were cool and also i was like man oh doing this every single night yeah that's true yeah yeah i did see yeah the there's eight they did eight shows of this a week and the guy that plays spider-man only did six of them because he could not his body couldn't do eight a week 
And you have to you have to keep your tune up while you're doing all this shit. I wonder how much of it is like lip synced. That's true. Because I wouldn't be able to tell. And certainly not when I'm watching this shitty phone recording. Right. Um, but yeah, and this musical number basically covers all the like, he's fighting the bullies at school. And he's, you know, he needs a car to impress MJ. Because even though she's like, oh, no, no, me and Flash are not dating. I went on a date with him and it sucked because he took me to Applebee's. There is a brief moment with Uncle Ben where Peter's like, I wish those bullies would just get what they deserve. And that's when Ben says that you have to rise above it. Yeah. But that doesn't really come back. That's not really Peter's thing. No, it is because then the song, like, after Ben dies is called Rise Above. But is Peter really about, like, he's very pissed off and angry and that's a bad thing? No, no, okay, yeah, you're right. That's really not the thing at all. Other than, like, a little bit during the climax when he's like, No, I don't want to kill you, Norman, I want to help you. He tried to rise above. Right. But he had to learn that he actually needed to kill him. Well, what? The, well, he kills himself, you know. He daredevil kills him. Yeah, he daredevil kills him. The, no, see, Ben figuratively told him to rise above it, but Peter just had to literally rise above it by using his webs. <laughs> Yeah, rise above it by swinging on your webs on top of the city. He uh, goes to, uh, you know, he wants a car and uh, he like blows off helping Uncle Ben with stuff like in the movie to go wrestle Bonesaw McGraw. For some reason, the Bonesaw McGraw is just a big inflatable man. I I thought that was really funny. <laughs> he just fights a balloon in like a wrestling ring. Especially when when the announcer says, oh, he went down like an inflatable balloon. <laughs> yeah. The announcer does good. It's just, it's odd to me because, again, like, my drama school, the drama department in high school did a lot of, like, pretty elaborate plays for that scale, and this feels like a solution they would have reached for this. It just felt weird in the most expensive Broadway production of all time, you know? Well, what would you have done if you had $75 million? I don't know. I guess just, like, choreograph a wrestling match. But how do you make the guy big? You just hire a big actor. You probably hired a small actor for Spider-Man because he needs to be light to get swung around. Yeah, but he can't be as big as an inflatable bone saw. I guess. I guess. It was just an odd, like, it's fine. It was weird. Well, you know, it also represents how Spider-Man dehumanizes his enemies. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Now now I follow. That also <laughs> ties in with the, how the gangsters will look later. Right, right. That that makes sense. In this, in this one, relative to the Raimi film, MJ is is way more outgoing in her relationship with Peter. Yeah. It's it's pretty clear that she's into him. Yeah, and I, they also don't, like, tiptoe around it. Like, they're dating, but at the point in the movie where, like, she was dating Harry, you know? Right. Um. Yeah, I, in general, I think the romance uh, worked better in this. But then that makes it even more frustrating that Peter's like, well, I have to have a car. Right, to impress her. Uh, so yeah, he, he actually gets the money. He doesn't get screwed in this version. But as he's coming home counting his thousand bucks, he hears a gunshot. And yeah, like we said, Uncle Ben just got killed by a, a random carjacker out on the street. And uh, Peter goes to room, grief-stricken. And that's when he is visited by the very goddess Arachne that he did a school report on only a few days earlier. And uh, she... I, <laughs> I kind of like... Like that the, we did, talked about in the Raimi movie that like they don't explain where the Spider-Man costume comes from and that's fine who cares this musical felt the need to explain it but their explanation is it is a blessing from a Greek goddess <laughs> where did Arachne get these powers 
Because she's not even a goddess. She's she's just the first spider. That's true. She's just a spider. Well, okay, hold on. The blessing she bestows on him is clothes, and she was a weaver. Okay, that's true. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It is. She explains that Spider-Man wears red for all, like, the heart's bleeding or something, and blue because that's all the blue he can't shed, all the sadness. Uh, I feel like, so that was the other part of the the revamp, is that my understanding is that Julie Taymor got brought in to make this show, and maybe didn't give that much of a shit about Spider-Man, and was trying to find some angle on it that would interest her, and that's where the Arachne stuff comes from, and, uh, like, just the idea of, like, oh, this goddess that visits you in your dreams, she's the spider, blah blah blah, um, and one of their big things was, like, okay, no one gives a fuck about this Arachne shit, we gotta get it out of here, and just make the whole thing about the Green Goblin, the movie people like. And they, like, fired her as they were revamping the show because she was like, no, I want it to be about my spider goddess OC. Uh, and they just booted her. I'll say the Arachne stuff is weird and maybe not really congruent with what I want out of Spider-Man. It's more of an idea than what we're left with without it, I think. Yeah, I, I like the way Arachne looks. I am, I'm always theoretically interested whenever they try to, like, tie Spider-Man into spider mythology uh-huh but when they've done it before they usually don't pull it off uh-huh yeah and i've not seen 1.0 i would suspect they didn't pull it off i just i respect the ambition of that more than well let's just retool it so it's basically just the raimi movie but we have some arachne scenes because i don't know we spent a lot of fucking money making this costume so we're gonna use it um but uh yeah so now he gets the costume and now he's spider-man we get the stage version of the robocop montage we have the gangsters with the big heads from the 60s for some reason. Yeah, you know, they're trying to, again, you gotta remember what Bono said. We're, we're wrestling with the same concepts as Roy Lichtenstein. We gotta make these caricatures, not just characters. What did Roy Lichtenstein, what concepts was he wrestling with? Plagiarism, mostly, I think. Yeah, I. how is he still a name? Uh, that I was very unsurprised to see Bono name-dropping Roy Lichtenstein in that paragraph. I do understand why the Daily Bugle is portrayed as being from the 60s because, you know, they're they're a dinosaur, a, a daily newspaper in the age of Facebook. Right, uh-huh. Uh, there was one part of it, was, he was like, listen, we're the Daily Bugle. We're not the Times. We're not the, you know, Journal. And we're certainly not the New York Post. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to be the New York Post. I think you're the legally distinct New York Post, Jonah. I, I don't, there are a lot of big crowd-pleasing jokes about, about New York, am I right? The New Yorkers know this one. Uh-huh. But I don't know what the reputations of the newspapers are. I said New York Post is like a tabloid. That's that's Hamilton's newspaper, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I remember in that play, they, they like proudly proclaimed, oh, Hamilton, he founded the New York Post. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're... I- I do not think the New York Post is a particularly high reputation. I think it's also as a very like right-leaning bent to it. Um, but also, I I don't I, I have not done enough research on the New York Post to say more sentences about it than I already have. So anyway, uh, yeah, Peter needs a job. He, you know, they basically just do the stage version of the scene where he gets hired at the Bugle for pictures of Spider-Man. Uh, the Jameson actor is pretty good. Yeah, he he he's very clearly invoking J.K. Simmons, but he does it well. Yeah, yeah, he's he's solid. Uh, they, there's a fun little back and forth where Peter's like, I want, he's like, I'll give you 50 bucks for these. Okay, 20. All right, you talk me down to 15. Oh, I get it. You're a, just a good citizen doing volunteer work. You know, that, that kind of, that's, that's a fun little routine. Um, 
And now this is we're, we're hitting the part where my attention started to drift, so I'm starting to forget what happens next. This is when the the Green Goblin, he's not the Green Goblin yet, there's like some scientists who quit because he couldn't pay them. Right, six scientists quit. His wife this whole time has been like, hey, I know you're a brilliant scientist, but you're managing our business very badly. Also, you keep talking about getting a contract with this like uh, mercenary group, Viper, and they're just going to want you to make super soldiers. And that's a bad idea. Um, And he's like, ah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then they show up. This is a pretty fun number, I think, when all the like military contractors show up to try to talk him into doing this. Yeah, they're just like standing above the stage uh, being the devil on his shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, and then they all just kind of march in with soldiers, and yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. Um, which convinces him to not go through with it, which is a weird flip, because this is the song where they do convince him that he needs to hurry up uh, and, like, test out the, the Green Goblin potion or whatever in the original version. They just flip what the song does. He's like, ah, oh, oh, they were scary in that song. I believe you now, my wife. So we gotta do something different. We gotta test it on me and get different investors. Let's do it. Um, and he becomes the Green Goblin and kills his wife in an explosion. And he also thinks that Spider-Man is someone who, like, stole his research. And that's that's also part of why he needs to accelerate it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the other side of it. Um, and yeah, he becomes the Green Goblin. And then... I love the Green Goblin makeup. Yeah, they went with... It's not a mask. It is just a heavy makeup that kind of invokes the shape of the, the movie mask. But he can, like, you know, he has his lips exposed and his eyes so he can emote. So then he, he kidnaps... You know, because he doesn't have a family, he kind of he kind of wants to create a family. So he kidnaps the six scientists that quits, and he creates Carnage and Craven the Hunter and the Lizard and Electro and uh, the one with the knives. So okay, yes, in the original version, like I said, the opening of the second act is the geek chorus being like, "Okay, well, we need new villains after Green Goblin," and they start naming like, "Okay, yeah, we got, we can come up with Craven the Hunter and the Lizard," and they just start going through all these iconic Spider-Man villains, Carnage, and then they finally like they need another one. They're like, "Uh, Swiss Miss, like a Swiss Army knife." Like, listen, I don't know, I don't got no good ideas. And, like, it's a joke that they couldn't name another Spider-Man. But she's a cool villain. Yeah, she's alright. Right? Uh, yeah, here she's just a villain. You know, the famous iconic Spider-Man villain of Swiss Miss. I do like all the villain costumes and the montage of the villains terrorizing the city as, like, their fan cams are playing on the giant screen behind them. Uh-huh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Spider-Man is nowhere to be seen, meanwhile, because he's been neglecting Mary Jane and their relationship. They're dating at this point, and he decides to take the night off to just spend with his girlfriend, and half the city burns down as a result. Prime up 75%, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, the Sinister Six wreak havoc and no one Je- jonah is furious because spider-man had no phone or radio no tv he didn't even know what was going on he couldn't reach uh and so he's got to get out there right the fuck now and get some pictures of the sinister six or he's fired and um he just he does some fight he fights some bad guys yeah he just he just kind of takes them out pretty easily and quickly yeah uh, yeah, he just cleans house, uh, gets some pictures. Meanwhile, oh, is this the same time that, like, he misses Mary Jane's play? Yeah, he misses the opening night of Mary Jane's play. And also, it's like, he's under pressure because Jameson keeps 
printing that Spider-Man is evil. So he's like running himself ragged trying to defeat the Sinister Six and everyone hates him and he's having relationship troubles. Right, I think at this point also the Goblin has shown up at the Daily Bugle to say that Spider-Man is basically one of the Sinister Six because he's, you know, he's got the same DNA powers and like he's he's basically my son. <laughs> There's a really long but apparently very crowd-pleasing bit where he's like trying to leave a message for the Daily Bugle and struggling with the automated voicemail system. The crowd fucking loves it. <laughs> I, it it's funny. <laughs> I've been doing the, the New York Times crossword a lot, and it, it it's kind of tried... To, it's made me think in the way someone who subscribes to the New York Times would think, you know? You get New York Times brain. Yeah, I have to get New York Times brain. Pretty soon you're going to start thinking the biggest problem is cancel culture. <laughs> and I, I feel like that crosses over a lot with uh, Broadway attendee brain. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I bet that's true. So you're saying you love this bit. Yeah, if I turn on my crossword brain, I'm like, yeah, man, you do struggle with uh, voicemail automatic phone systems. I think it's a funny joke for him to be giving a villain monologue and then get interrupted by a phone robot. But <laughs> they, I think they kind of milk it too hard. But again, that's my opinion. Watching Spider-Man turn off the dark 2.0 Broadway recording, the people in the theater are having a ball. <laughs> they love it so much. There's also, I, this is a line that stuck out to me because I remember them referencing it in fucking, when they covered this musical on You Talking You 2 to me, like a decade ago at this point, Jesus Christ. Um, But uh, they, like during the song where he's building the Sinister Six, he has a line where he says, I'm a $65 billion, $65 million like circus catastrophe or something. And then he stops and goes, eh, more like $75 because he's making fun of how the budget of the show. <laughs> It's a good one. It's a good bit. Uh, but yeah, God, this costs this costs seventy five million dollars. I'm still reckoning with that. I think. How much do they usually cost? I don't know. That's a great question. Why don't we see what the budget of I don't know what's the, the other big musical I can think of that's like contemporary would be like Hamilton's. So let's see what. But that's also a very like minimalist stage. So that's maybe not a fair comparison. Yeah, the thing about Hamilton is that Limo Miranda does not move his body. <laughs> that's also true. Hamilton had a budget of twelve point five million dollars. Which still seems like a lot considering that that show has a staircase and a turntable and that's and some tables and that's it. So I'm also unsure about what exactly budget means because you're paying everyone every night, right? But you, you don't know exactly how long you're running. I would assume that's coming out of like your revenue and that the budget is how much money you have to invest to get to opening night. The same way with like a movie or something, right? Oh, okay, sure. That'd be my guess. I, I'm not a Broadway person, so I don't know like any inside baseball shit about this. But that'd be my thought about it. So the budget covers like whatever the contract for the initial run is. Yeah, the budget probably includes wages for the actors for like a certain opening period. And then hopefully they're being paid out of the revenue the show is generating past that. With all that in mind, honestly, 75 feels right. Yeah, I guess you do see it on the show. Like all the, yeah, complicated stunts and the crazy like ways the stage transforms. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. Um, but yeah, uh, what next? Spider-Man, he breaks up, Mary Jane like dumps him because, you know, he 
fucking missed her big night. Understandable. And uh, he decides he's going to quit being Spider-Man because fuck this. They get the whole like Spider-Man no more thing at the bugle. Um, This is like 20 minutes before the end of the play. (laughs) They kind of rush through the ending here. Oh, yeah, he also has, like, this crazy dream sequence where he's visited by Arachne and gets, like, like his bedroom transforms into the spiderweb dimension and he gets drawn up out of his bed uh, to float through space with her. Pretty impressive on, like, the technical level. Yeah. And it's also a lot of work going into a scene that I think nobody but Julie Tamor gave a shit about. I liked it. I like, yeah, I, I didn't mind it. It's, it, yeah, again, it's one of those things where, like, I think especially nerds or whatever really don't like it when adaptations aren't faithful. I think the Arachne stuff doesn't really work in this, but I can imagine it maybe working in the 1.0 version, and even if it didn't, I respect the try. Do something weird. Fuck it. Have some fun. So, they kind of break up, but then Mary Jane's also like, I'll, I'll be your best friend. Yeah, she's like, I, I don't want to lose my best friend just because he's a shitty boyfriend. But then they for real break up when the Green Goblin uh, hijacks the airwaves. Yeah, well, so Spider-Man quits being, uh, Peter quits being Spider-Man, takes Mary Jane out to a nightclub that is themed after an iPod commercial from 2005. Because <laughs> we've got Vertigo by U2 playing. Oh my god. Yeah, did you not catch that? No, I forgot they that do commercial. They the fucking Uno Dos Tres Catorce bit. Then they just run out and like, oh, we don't feel like doing one more song that needs to last for like a minute. Fuck you. Just use Vertigo. Just use Vertigo. Just use Vertigo. Hey, Spider-Man. Just use Vertigo. <laughs> just Vertigo, Spider-Man. You know, I guess that's, hey, Vertigo, that's a thing you can relate to Spider-Man. He gets Vertigo in Spider-Man 2. <laughs> that's true. He does when he loses his spider powers. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, then uh, all the TVs showing just like all the colors that again just look like the iPod commercial colors turn into the Green Goblin who's like, ah, Spider-Man, I heard you quit. Well, sorry, I was doing uh, movie Norman Osborn and then I remember this one is Southern. Well, Spider-Man, I heard you quit. Well, I don't sit right with me. No how, no good. So let's do a big epic final battle, you and me. Come on now, let's go. And then they for real break up. Yeah, he dumps her because like he just told her he wanted to marry her but like he realizes that he cannot quit in spider-man the world needs him uh so which means he's gotta abandon all of his personal connections to people it's kind of like the matrix reloaded when neo is supposed to understand that he needs to give up trinity because the one can't be in love with a human and he needs to be in love with humanity right it's like the the architect has set up a system by which he he has sort of a a, a controlled response but the neo rejects that because he realizes he can never work within the system right but peter doesn't reject it he just goes along with it he just does it and he has a weirdly i i don't know i thought this final confrontation might be a little bit more epic but they kind of just stand on stage and talk to each other for a few minutes yeah yeah uh because they're trying to do the bit from the raimi movie when uh green goblin has him drugged and wants him to join forces with him uh and it's not as good as in the raimi movie and um then they start fighting he captured mary jane because he figured out he was peter parker a while ago he's like well spider-man showed up at the same time that you were at my lab that on the day that spider escaped and also you're the guy taking all the pictures of spider-man was not that hard to figure out actually (laughs) Uh, and then we get a big cool final fight i like the way that like they use the lights and set to like give the impression of a camera angling so that instead of looking at the top of the building we're like looking over the building to the side yeah that that's a cool effect and the goblin just has instead of a glider he has wings on his back yeah 
And uh, he also had a piano up here. Um, and at some point, I kind of, again, was fading out, <laughs> having a hard time focusing. Spider-Man webs him to the piano, but Green Goblin doesn't notice and gets mad and kicks the piano off the side or something, right? Yeah, so then he falls to his death. Yep. And uh, Spider-Man and Mary Jane now are together. Yeah, she knows that he's Spider-Man. And we get the, the Spider-Man 2 ending to go get him, Tiger. She also says, it seemed to me like she had known for a very long time. That's why she just wanted Peter to say it that's true yeah yeah because there's like a reprise of a song where she's just like you clearly have something you need to tell me so fucking say it and this time he does spider-man and uh yeah that's spider-man turn off the dark we blaze through it it was fine I, I yeah i don't think it's very good i think the music kind of sucks I think um, most of the actors aren't great. The Peter actor, I will give some leeway to because he is dealing with a lot of shit in this show. He's got to both fucking uh, do all these acrobatic stunts while also singing in a Bono impression. (laughs) So I'll cut him some slack. But other than that, like Osborne's kind of the only good actor in this thing. I like Mary Jane. She's fine, I guess. Yeah, she's okay. And I guess, I'm not gonna say good actor, I'll say good performance. These might be great actors. Uh, maybe not expecting anyone to turn in a great performance on this particular show. I will say, this was not as bad as as it had been sold to me. Yeah, I think that's true. I, th- I think we're also seeing, I don't know when this was recorded, but I think it was kind of after they got all the kinks ironed out, and they kind of got it functional, if nothing else. I think it is totally fine, largely inoffensive. I think if I was in the theater seeing all the cool set stuff and the swinging in person, I think it would be pretty impressive and fun. It's okay. I I would I would be disappointed if I paid five hundred dollars or whatever to see this. Yeah, but I don't know if there's a Broadway show I wouldn't be disappointed to pay five hundred dollars to see. You know? Yeah, they cost too much money. Yeah, uh huh. And I think in the in those terms, this is hilarious because this is very corny and kind of dumb it is not the kind of high art you expect from the theater you know but art isn't that typical of broadway i guess that is typical of like broadway musicals you know yeah but uh yeah like cats isn't theater either i don't know i thought you get theater off broadway i thought broadway is is the is the fucking marvel movies of plays I see. I, but then that's that makes it even weirder that they're so fucking expensive. Imagine imagine if you had to pay like a ridiculous amount over normal ticket prices to see fucking Iron Man 2. Luke, have you seen the prices at Disney World? I guess that's true. You know what? You got me there. Have you seen the fucking Star Wars experience? No, no. You've destroyed me with facts and logic. <laughs> You got me. I have no rebuttal. Like, that's maybe slightly different because that's like a whole day activity and not two hours. But also, they nickel and dime the fuck out of you after you're in the park too. So, yeah. No. Good point. I mostly just think the music's bad and that U2 is not a very good band. I I don't know if I've heard three U2 songs. I kind of liked some of the songs off of that album they put out a few years back. I guess it was more than a few years at this point. Where that was like, if you have an iPhone, you own this album already. It's on your iTunes, whether you want it or not, motherfuckers. I actually think some of the songs on that album are okay. Oh, I forgot about that. That's such a stupid way to release an album. Kind of, yeah. But Raised by Wolves? Kind of bangs. That's a good song. If you if you were to grade, uh, if you were a teacher, oh if you were yeah. a drama teacher at your high school, right, and your students had turned in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, golly, how would you grade it? 
I feel like as a teacher, I would have to fail it on principle because you hurt six people. Uh, but if I'm trying to ignore that and just like, like say I showed up to watch this performance of it and I'm just grading this performance of it. Um, so the pluses are very cool stage work, cool stunts. Uh, the Green Goblin actor is very fun. Um, negatives are that the rest of the actors aren't very fun and the music bad. <sighs> I think you're getting a... Hmm. I feel like I am giving a C, but I am pulling aside the set designers to be like, I know you worked way harder on this. You're getting A's. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, a C. Yeah. I was also thinking about a C. I, I'm just trying to think of a narrative of they started really bad and they worked really hard to eventually get to this. It's most improved. You're getting the most improved award at the end of the year. What I, I gave Far From Home a C minus. Is this better than Far From Home? <laughs> Well, what do you think? Uh, they, I will say this, this movie contends with Peter Parker as a poor kid way more than Far From Home does. Eh, kind of. More than Far From Home does, which is to say more than zero. Right, he's not poor in Far From Home. Right, he's not. <laughs> he at least has some money problems and like a difficult life, whereas all of his difficulties in Far From Home are basically rooted in superhero shit. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll say this is better in Far From Home. I'll give it a, a C exactly on the dot. Okay, yeah, I think that's reasonable. About as good as the first Iron Man. Yeah, it is about as good as the first Iron Man. <laughs> Would you like to take some questions? Yeah, I'd love to take some questions. Olivia asks, why is it called Turn Off the Dark? Okay, so I tried to look this up beforehand to get the person and I couldn't find it. One of the people involved in the production of this show at like a high level, I don't know if it was the guy who wrote the book or if it was Julie Taymor. I don't think it was Julie Taymor. It might have been Bono or The Edge. One of them had a story about their like young child got scared at night and yelled for their dad to come in and turn off the dark because they had a nightmare because they're a dumb little baby that doesn't understand how light works. So, you know, you can if you turn on the light, you can turn off the dark, right? And they thought that was just so adorable. And they named their $75 million musical after it. I think you might have told that to me before. Uh-huh. So that's that's the mystery solved. What do you think? I, if that was the origin, I would have expected more, I don't know, like they, they sing the song about turn off the dark, but that's not... I wanted more Turn Off the Dark. I would have expected a scene with a small child that was scared that Spider-Man comforted. Oh, you do not want a small child on this reduction. Oh my god. You know what? Good point. <laughs> Keep the children away from this show. You're right. That child would have died. <laughs> Crass asks, was it worth the human cost? No. No! Not even remotely. Can't imagine a show that would be. August asks, what's the best U2 song? <sighs> I said off the top of my head, I like Raised by Wolves. That's a good song. Crystal, pull up Raised by Wolves on YouTube. Give it a listen. And let's hear your live reactions. Because you said you basically don't know any YouTube, right? No, I don't know any YouTube songs. I mean, other than all the great songs in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. I think it's also like a song about when Bono was a kid and like saw like an IRA bombing or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Face down on a broken I'm just seeing a bunch of imagery of animals in the wilderness. Huh, okay. I think this might be a fan music video if I'm watching the same one as you. Metal crash, I can tell what it is, but I take a look. Now I'm sorry I did 
We can cut this down on the actual thing. Truncate silence is gonna go nuts on this part. Yeah, you see, I, I'm not doing a lot of reactions here, and that is because the song is not really stirring much emotion in me. That's fair. I like the parts where it goes like, I think that's neat when that happens. Yeah, that part in the beginning is okay. I'm, I'm giving it to the chorus. The chorus is good. I like the chorus. It's, I'm about to hit the chorus, I think. Face down on a pillow of shame. There's some girls with a needle trying to spell my name. Okay, they're doing a little more stuff with the guitar on the chorus. I also like how his voice just like cuts in almost on the chorus. It sounds cool. Okay, that's enough of that. That All song's. Right. I, I don't have strong feelings about that one. I think that one's solid. I think most of their songs aren't. Um, Cassie says, so Imagine Dragons got their big break here? <laughs> is that true? Uh, is it? I, I don't know. Imagine Dragons turn off the dark. I'm looking this up. Uh. Oh, wait, okay, hold on. Broadwayworld.com says, uh, this, this was published back in February. TikTok users learn Imagine Dragons wrote demos for Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Uh, okay, what? As Yahoo <laughs> reported, music producer Alex DeKid worked with the band while looking for some inspiration for the Broadway musical, which was written by Bono and The Edge. I thought they would be great to help me come up with ideas for U2. So they brought in Imagine Dragons to write some demos that they then handed off to U2 to turn into full songs. What? This was when Imagine Dragons was fairly unknown. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 2007-ish, I think. Sure. All right. Now I feel even less impressed by you two on this one. How do you feel about the Imagine Dragons band? Um, I don't like the two Imagine Dragons songs that I know. Don't care for Radioactive? I don't care for Radioactive. I don't care for I'm on Top of the World. I don't even know what that one sounds like. I'm on top of the world. Eh. Hey, I'm on top of the world. Eh. Hey. Nah, it means nothing to me. My dad really fucking likes that song, so I've had to hear it a lot. Wait, hold on. Yeah, huh? <laughs> in, 20, in a 2021 podcast interview called The Turning Point, Dan Reynolds, the lead singer of Imagine Dragons, revealed that it took him almost a decade, but he had finally found the true meaning behind the lyrics of Radioactive. That what? Was- <laughs> songwriting works well it was actually all about him not giving up hope after losing faith in his religion that was mormonism okay (laughs) he finally figured it out well i'm glad you know um cassie also asked any fictional dragons would be cool for spider-man to meet or fight Ooh. um trying to think what are some good fictional dragons uh there's takesis the evil god from dragonlance Okay, okay. Let me throw this one at you. What if he had to fight the three blue eyes white dragons of Seto Kaiba? Oh my god. Imagine if Kaiba was a Spider-Man villain. He'd be a really good one, too. He'd be really good! Like, all you need to do is tweak it so the hologram technology could, like, you could, like, unleash dual monsters to rampage. And Spider-Man has to web them up. Yeah! Well, that's all. That's it for our question. All right, great. Um, Do we want to talk about what we're planning to do on this show? Because I feel like we need to figure some things out. Okay, yeah. So, we... we you keep wanting to cover Ang Lee's Hulk, and I keep being like, no, 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 we got to do some stupid bullshit first. <laughs> uh, mm, so here's the thing: this this is a monthly show, usually, generally. Uh-huh. I think for some of the things we talked about, I mean, I, you're the one that edits it, so I don't want to tell you we need to speed up the release dates, release uh, times, but also. Venom is out in like a week, and I feel like we gotta get a Venom episode out there. Like, it's our it's our opportunity to finally be timely with one of these. So I kind of feel like Venom needs to like get recorded soon and then actually released soon. Venom can take precedence. 
Okay. I can release these out of order. Well, yeah. So you're saying that they've already heard the Venom episode when they're listening to this. Of course. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we can jump Venom up in the order. Um... Okay, then you floated, we talked a couple episodes back about how technically Neo in the Matrix is a superhero, which makes those superhero movies, which means they're valid to cover for this show. And then they put out a trailer for The Matrix Reborn, is that what it is? The Matrix Resurrections. Resurrections, yes, yes, yes. Uh, so you suggested that, hey, you know, kind of the Venom thing, do we want to try to be timely and put out some Matrix episodes? And I said, that sounded great, except that if we're doing one a month, then it will be like February before we actually get to the Matrix Resurrections, and no one will care about the Matrix again. Think people will just stop caring about the Matrix? I mean, to some extent, people will always care about the Matrix. I'm just saying if we're trying to capture the, the you know, s- fucking zeitgeist around Resurrections, it should probably come out within a month of Resurrections. You know what I mean? That makes sense to me. But that would mean putting out, I mean, I guess we could shelve the, some of, some more episodes and focus on this. But even then, it's almost October. There's four Matrix movies by the time we get to Resurrections. And there's not four months in between now and when Resurrections comes out. All right, there's also the Animatrix. Oh, do we want to do a separate episode on the Animatrix? Well, you said four movies before. Oh, I was saying four movies counting Resurrection. I figured we could touch on the Animatrix probably as part of the Reloaded episode. Okay, so how about plans this? In October, there will be episodes released for The Matrix and The Matrix Reloaded. Okay. And then November, there are episodes released for The Matrix revolutions and the animatrix okay so when is this coming out well if we're doing that then we can put this out first and then uh animatrix comes out like mid-december yes before and then how do we fit venom in there all right venom also all right so here's the plans listeners I don't know exactly when this episode is coming out, but here's the plans as I'm talking on September 20th. <laughs> you might have already heard all the plans <laughs> she's about to outline. We're going to talk about Venom, and it's going to be out in October. We're going to do the Matrix movies. That means you should send questions about the Matrix movies and Venom to, uh, what's, the, what's our email? Oh, mcucompleteme at gmail.com. Yes, that's mcucompleteme at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, and I think that about wraps it up, right? Yeah. Okay, and we'll get to Hulk eventually. I want to talk about Hulk. I also want to talk about the Hulk. It will be a film we cover, unless I find some other dumb piece of garbage to make you watch after we're done with The Matrix. No, we're going to watch the Hulk after we watch The Matrix Resurrections. I'm going to pitch you on a series where we cover every movie that has a Matrix parody scene in it before we cover the Hulk. Yeah, we could watch the SNL, Will Ferrell, Matrix. Uh, we could watch... Like that's an entirely separate podcast podcast at that point we could watch the uh, legendary frog uh there's something about the matrix animations oh god i mean i might have to brush up on those that was that was formative for me very much so uh yeah, me too i did not get that the characters he had in like his normal legendary frog stuff were like starcraft characters i just thought they were his fun ocs and it was always like oh when is he gonna do more stuff with these guys i did not know they were starcraft characters until this very moment i think i think they are maybe i'm wrong about that now you got me second guessing myself i think kerrigan is a starcraft character that is the name of a starcraft character but is that kerrigan 
Oh, well, that's a great question. They're like they're like blue alien guys, right? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just talked right out of my ass. Impossible to say. I uh, so I went through an arc of assuming they were OCs to assuming they were like cute parody versions of StarCraft characters. So now you got me thinking they're OCs again. Ark and Kerrigan. I think they're OCs. Googling Ark and Kerrigan to see what I get. Uh, this is something we should be doing offline. <laughs> no, the people love this. <laughs> Uh, These are definitely well, OCs. Okay. All right. Well, now we've all learned some things. <laughs> Where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at SSJ Speed Racer. You can find other shows that I do on AudioEntropy.com, such as Reprise Falls, where we're talking about Gravity Falls and realizing that even a show from only seven years ago maybe hasn't aged so great. Uh, you can also find me on Idle on Playtest. It's an actual play RPG. I uh, GM it. Crystal is on there. It's a good time. It only gets gooder. You can find me at arcanecrystal on twitter.com you can find me on the book of medora podcast where we are currently doing our side series the book of aurora about the metroid series of video games how's that going so far uh the the episode on metroid slash metroid zero mission just came out on the free feed and uh i i thought the metroid timeline was pretty simple turns out maybe it's a little more complicated than i thought okay let me see if i can just like bang it out off the top of my head here okay you got Ooh, i'm immediately realizing i'm gonna run into trouble because i'm not totally sure where other m goes you got metroid metroid 2 super metroid other m is that right and then the three prime games and then fusion oh i left hunters out didn't i i don't know where the fuck hunters goes and then Dreads after Fusion. That's the only one after Fusion. I don't know where Federation works. Fuck, how's pinball work? You know what? I don't know how to do this, Crystal. You're right. No, no, I'm not even talking about it because the Prime games are not canonical. <laughs> I'm talking about, they, they numbered them for you. There's Metroid 1. You worked in Everybody Loves Raven episode into the Zelda timeline. What the fuck do you mean the Prime games aren't canonical? There's Metroid... Since when do you listen to when a creator says something <laughs> isn't canon? There's Metroid 1, there's Metroid 2, Super Metroid is titled Metroid 3 in-game. Right. Metroid Fusion is titled Metroid 4. Sure. And Metroid Dread is titled Metroid 5. Those are the five Metroid games. But, no, you- what? (laughs) What? This is the dead-ass opposite of how you normally operate with this. What I'm saying is that Metroid Prime is like its own little sub-series, but it has very little to do with the mainline Metroid series. I mean, that is true. Yes, I agree with that. But, like, where'd Other M fit in there, then? Because that one definitely... Other M is between 3 and 4, and the Prime games are all between 1 and 2. Where's Federation Force go? That's after Prime 3, but still before Metroid 2. Okay, what about, uh, uh, Hunters? Hunters is between 1 and 2, and Pinball is a retelling of 1. Sounds like it's not that hard. Well, the thing that made it hard... You're trying to fit Metroid and Zero Mission into it separately. Yeah, because it turns out they're actually quite different. I see. In ways that are uh, very difficult to reconcile. Are you sure that it's not just that Zero Mission renders the original non-canon and overwrites it? No, because they're... Like, later games will reference things from different versions of games, but not consistently. This sounds like a real crazy problem that listeners should tune into the Book of Aurora to hear more about. <laughs> yes. Anyway, would you like to hear a Spider-Man joke? I Do you still have any? I, I have one, yes. Okay, great. Hit me. Hey, Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah? Why don't you uh, take that web over there and uh, turn off the dark? Leaving. <laughs> Okay, bye. Bye. The city conducts the symphony.
Yours is a praise I hear your voice inside my 